on a thousand planets and spreading out. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. To the bat poles. May the force be with you. Who is that mask man? Avengers, assemble. Good afternoon and welcome to the Fantastic Forum. I'm your host, Ulysses E. Campbell. We'll start off today's show with some genre-related news. Umbrella Academy cast members Tom Hopper, David Castaneda, Emmy Raver-Lampman, Robert Sheehan, Aidan Gallagher, and Justin H. Men banded together in advance of season three and have negotiated raises for themselves. The actors will now earn over $200,000 per episode. Fellow cast member Elliot Page also received a raise but had been earning more than the others as he came to the show as the most established star. Page was not involved in the group's renegotiation but was reportedly supportive of the effort. Umbrella Academy has been a big hit for Netflix. The series second season topped the first Nielsen streaming rankings which were released last September. Dracula starring Bela Lugosi premiered in New York 90 years ago last week, on February 12, 1931. It was the first sound adaptation of Bram Stoker's novel. The film was a critical and commercial success. Lugosi's performance established the character as a cultural icon and an archetypal vampire in later fictional works. A new trailer dropped this week for the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League, you can view the trailer on one of the Fantastic Forum social media platforms. And while you're there, if you haven't already, follow us on Twitter and Instagram and like us on Facebook. We like to be followed and we love to be liked. The Snyder Cut of Justice League premieres March 18th on HBO Max. NASA's Perseverance rover has successfully landed on Mars. The robot became the fifth rover to safely land on the Martian surface. It is the most sophisticated rover that NASA has ever sent to the Red Planet. It will gather data and look for signs of ancient life in a crater that contained a lake approximately 3.9 billion years ago. More on this story as it continues to develop. Today we are talking to Maurice Rahim Mander, who is the creative force behind Surian Seed. And if you don't know Surian Seed now, you will soon, trust me. Raheem, thanks for being with us. Absolutely happy to be back. <laughs> I was going to say, it's been a minute since we've talked to you. And the last time, it was uh, our, our, my lovely compatriot, Shireen Nicole, who had the honor and privilege. I was not on camera for that one. But uh, you've been doing Surian Seed for uh, for a while. And I'm delighted that uh, you this, this is getting ready to blow up, uh, for want of a better way to put it. Um, tell us a little bit about... Uh, well, okay, before we get to the journey, which is uh, where I kind of wanted to go, tell us a little bit about yourself, because you and I uh, share something in common, uh, being that we are both from New Jersey. You're from Trenton. Born and bred, the Varland Housing Projects in Trenton, New Jersey. 
And uh, you, at least for a long time, I, I probably should ask you this before too, uh, but we're working with children. And I know that uh, a lot of that work has informed the choices that you've made and, uh, and what you're doing now. I've been working with kids since I was 19 years old. When I was a freshman at Morehouse, I came back home and I was actually teaching French at the Upper Bound program. And I've been doing that all up until this year. So in a lot of ways, that work with kids has informed what you're doing now, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it started actually, but what went into creating Surrey and Seed was I used to be a child and family therapist. And I used to have children come into my office and they would always bring comic books. And I remember one black boy, he kept comic books with him, but he never had any comic books with any black superheroes. And I asked him one day, why don't you have any black superheroes with you um, when you come into the office? And he said he didn't like them. And I later found out that it was the byproduct of not like liking himself. So when we do a deeper into why do uh, black children fill the black doll test, his whole issue of black self-hatred, there's a lot to unpack there. And as his therapist, I later unpacked that and it directly impacted how he went about his reading materials, the imagery he had, he had, uh, he dealt with every day and how he felt about himself. So you're not necessarily going to go pick up books to read about yourself, your black if you don't like what you see in the mirror. So when I when I decided to create my comic book, I wanted to ensure that people could pick up something that reflected a positive light on black people. Now, of course, if you're writing about what I write about, there are gonna be some situations and scenarios that might not be the best, but overall, it reflects positively on you creating the black superhero image. So when children pick it up, they can see uh, superheroes and black people in a positive light. Thus, my connection of ensuring that my superheroes were HBCU educated. I wanted to promote the richness of HBCU culture and the richness, richness of black culture, as well as put out something that could compete with any other comic book on the market. Mm -hmm. All right. And I see that you are boosting Trenton even now. See, some people come from environments and they run from it. I embrace the environment that I come from. I put my city on my back wherever I go. I'm Trenton made. Trenton born and I rep Trenton 100% of the time. Now, for me, it becomes the issue of Trenton is a microcosmic representation of America. You're going to have aspects of it that you love and aspects of it that you hate. But for the most part, there are good people that live there and we're all either victimized or we benefit from the circumstances that are given to us. And for the most part, Trenton is an impoverished city. However, it reflects very much what most people are going through in this country. We take lemons and we make lemonade out of it. And for me, I took my situation growing up in the projects and I made lemonade out of it. it. It fortified me for life's journey. And so I tell people I'm built to last. It took me 20 years to create Serene Sea and I'm still here and I'm just about to get my shot to ensure that my message makes it out to everyone, not only in America, but across the world. And I'd like to believe that my journey through Trenton has something to do with that. Thus, my comic book is based in my hometown. I didn't create a Gotham. I didn't create a metropolis. We're not in New York City. My heroes are populated in Trenton. Mm -hmm. Well, and of course, that's the foundation of who you are. And so quite naturally of what you're doing. Give us the basics of uh, what Syrian Seed is and who the heroes are. So if you can imagine in January of 2000, I sat down and I said, hey, I'm going to start designing an encyclopedia 
in which the superheroes are graduates of HBCUs. And so I started with Morehouse, my undergrad uh, institution, and then I moved on to Morgan State, my graduate institution. And so as I began to design these characters, the main character is Isaiah Kimmett. I belong to a fraternity called Kimmett that was founded at Morehouse back in 1988. And I decided that I would take a little bit of my experiences, not only just in uh, college and in grad school, but also in Trenton. And I will begin to infuse this into a narrative that will become uh, a, a world unto itself. And so what you have are a group of superheroes called the Order of Lights. They're existing in Trenton and not only are they dealing with the gang culture, the poverty, the miseducation of so many people who are matriculating through the public school system and as well as the parochial school system, but they're also dealing with the fact that the earth is about to be invaded by aliens and magic has come on the scene. And so for a lot of people inside of the comic book, magic is something they're not accustomed to dealing with. And variants, why who most people will relate to as being mutants, have just kind of started to arrive in the human population and people are trying to figure them out. So variants start to experience the exclusion and discrimination against them, much like people in this country who are non-white started to experience. And when you kind of put all that together, you get a action adventure, horror, sci-fi, martial arts masterpiece that's actually based in an urban setting. Now, tell us a little bit about the villains, because uh, the uh, obviously all great heroes need great villains, and Syrian Seed is no different. You've got some really great ones. Uh, well, plant, planet-wise, you're talking about a gang called the 609. The 609 is led by three people. Swag, who's a female who runs it, and she has two henchmen, Haterproof and Acid. And so they kind of run the gang culture in Trenton, and they're very much dealing with things that the gangs deal with at home. Uh, the drug situation, the money laundering, if you could think of it, they're doing it. But here's the difference. They're doing it, and they have a skill set that's so dangerous, they're actually going challenged until Infinite, who's my main hero, his sister Jaden and his uh, brother Musinda decide that they've already become public enemy number one. And then you have the anti-hero slash villain called Range. And I tell people, it's hard to put Range in a particular category because you're going to see her do some things that people are going to love. And then you're going to see her do some things that people are going to hate. So depending on what side of the spectrum you fall on, on a particular issue, that's how you're going to view Range. Now, off-planet, you have the Syrians. And in my universe, the Syrians are responsible for Yuzhor. That is the style of fighting from which all martial arts emanate. And according to their holy talic or their Bible, they have to conquer Earth in order for their planet not to be conquered by this holy figure called the Rudan, who they surmise is going to be born on Earth. And so when Infinite ventures out to the world, uh, for the first couple of years as a superhero, he's primarily dealing with variants. Then he has to deal with the element of magic that's coming from not only that, not only on Earth, but also a place called the Dark Realm. And then he's introduced to the idea that now on the planet, there are assassins from Sur out to take him out because they believe him to be this, this mythic figure called the Rudan. 
So he recruits uh, Planet Sod, some heroes to join him in the fight against gangs, in the fight against magic, and in the fight against this alien invasion. So he's fighting three different enemies, essentially with a small band of heroes. And unbeknownst to regular humans, the fight against magic has started and the invasion has started. So he's actually trying to convince people, hey, there's something else going on around us that you all are privy to. But if you understood the dynamics of what we were facing day in and day out, you would accept variants as the first defense against magic and the first defense against this invasion. And people aren't buying it. And so therein lies his dilemma along with the people who uh, support him. Well, one of the things that strikes me about all this, Raheem, is that it's a very timely story if you look at what's going on culturally, socially, uh, here in the United States right now. And I, I think that it's a wonderful time for black heroes. You know, you were talking a little bit about uh, the uh, the young boy uh, who is your student uh, who, you know, said that he didn't like black heroes. Frequently, uh, younger kids don't know of black heroes, you know, right. but we're living in a time now where, you know, black superheroes are becoming more popularized. So, you know, and I'm sure that is in no small part uh, the interest in Syrian Seed uh, right now. You're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM. We are Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Maurice Rahim Mander, who is the creator of the Syrian Seed comic series. So tell us a little bit about what you are doing now and uh, what is on the horizon for Syrian Seed. I know some stuff you can't give away, but, uh, you know, I, I think what is going on heralds something really great. And I'd like you to share what you can about that. Well, I want you to think of Syrian Seed HBCU superheroes as a movement. Because what I'm trying to do, if you can imagine this, imagine if HBCU institutions were attached to the profit margins of Black Panther. It made over a billion dollars. Plus what it's continued to make with the merchandising. So what I'm trying to do is get HBCU institutions to come on board with Sorian C HBCU superheroes to give me an official license. So when I put action figures in the stores, they'll be wearing official HBCU merchandise and the schools can generate a profit from that. Because at some point, we have to come up with creative marketing strategies in order for these HBCU institutions to sustain themselves. With the influx of black talent to predominantly white institutions, we can see how Alabama has built up this fortress of income through the football program. How Florida State and the Miamis and the rest of these schools have used black talent to essentially grow the endowments, grow, grow the athletic departments, and they're benefiting in such a way that they become like, they become these almost mythological institutions where we as a people believe if we don't attend those institutions, we have no shot at going professional. My position becomes, okay, until we can convince black talent to spread the wealth, we have to be innovative in how we think. It's time for us to do something for ourselves. So when I think about what Syrian Seed can become, I know... 
have a phenomenal product. I've never gone out to a Comic-Con and not sold out 100% of my comic books. I know what this can do. So earlier this year, back in June, I received a phone call from a representative from a movie company who asked me if I thought about turning Sorian C into a movie. I said, well, you know, we always think about the possibility one day somebody giving us a phone call so we can take our product and do bigger and better things with it. He gave me two months to write a script. Within a week after that movie house receiving the uh, deck in the script, they turned to me a multi-million dollar contract. And I was like, wow. That's, that in my mind, I'm like, that's crazy. Like here I am in June with just, with just a comic book. And in September, I have a multi-million dollar offer for me to go ahead and turn this comic book into a movie. Well, I, I thought about the offer and then I thought about what Master P did. How about if we create a vehicle through which I can maintain some creative control over what I'm trying to do with this so the message won't get lost and the idea that HBCUs can earn money in perpetuity won't get lost. So I received another phone call, luckily from an angel investor. He said, put the brakes on for a minute. Do not sign any deal. I want to talk to you about what you have in front of you. So he asked me a series of questions. And one of the questions I was able to answer was that I already had an animation studio attached to the project. Not only did I have an animation studio attached to the project, I had one of the best animation studios that no one had ever heard of based in Africa. So when I reached out to these guys in the summer and told them about what I was trying to do, they signed up, no money needed, put us in the project, we're on board. In fact, they started working on Serbian C HBCU superheroes before they even received the dime. That's how much on board they were with the product. So I said, okay, so what do you want me to do? He said, here's what I'm going to do. Can you develop a proof of concept that we can get this done? I said, not only can we develop a proof of concept, I said, I can show you some things right now that can demonstrate to you that we're ready to launch this thing. I showed him that, and within about 48 hours, he came back to me and said, I'm on board. What we're going to do, we're going to create this proof of concept so you can go and speak with these movie companies from position of power. Show them that not only do you have the script ready to go, not only do you have a team in place, but you can deliver a product based on all the ideas you have in your movie deck. So as I said to you right now, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. We're working out of uh, Soul Asylum Studio. So we're compiling our proof of concept out of Canada, Africa, Ohio, Boston, and Atlanta right now. So what I did was I married my company, Asada Anaya LLC, with Dreammakers Inc. out of Ohio, run by Matthew Seal, who's a special effects artist, and the animation studio, along with the angel investor, and we put a production team together. I have uh, an accountant and a financial advisor. I have a creative consultant who's already been working out in Hollywood, who's delivered scripts for television shows and movies already. I have a legal team out of this world, 
and I have my angel investor on board with one sole purpose. They support the idea that we should be able to deliver a product that empowers not only the messaging of black superheroes, but provide a vehicle for HBCU institutions to earn an inordinate amount of money that would not otherwise be available to them if this project was not put forth. And again, I say, just imagine if Black Panther was an HBCU superhero and you got on board with that. I mean, Black Panther is pushing almost $200 million in merchandise sales already. If you only had 10% of that $200 million, you'd be better off. So my position is whether they get on board or not, I'm still going to call my project HBCU Superheroes, even if we have to conceptualize some mythological institutions, we're still going to do it. And as of right now, we're in the process of launching the e-commerce store, which in essence also is going to serve as a stream of income to ensure that what I'm working on right now not only gets delivered on time, but gets delivered in a manner that competes with soul, that competes with The Incredibles, that competes with Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, we're going to deliver that type of product to the public. I'm so certain of it that by the time we get done and our proof of concept goes viral, I suspect we should have a multi-million dollar movie deal that favors not only what we're trying to deliver, but everybody involved, probably within 60 days of its release. Because right now, we've already gone to the table and talk to other movie institutions or some some movie institutions and we've also talked to people who are launching some streaming networks they're very interested in this product and we're telling them please wait until we're done so we can show you what we're capable of doing see i know if you want to sign me just by reading my deck and reading the script if that has generated your interest wait until i deliver something that looks like soul Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse. And then I also tell you, hey, we can deliver this at a reasonable price and COVID will not impact our delivery date or our production of the product. And so that's kind of where we are right now. Mm. Now, I'm kind of blown away <laughs> by everything you said, <laughs> but I but I want to double back uh, to, to the very beginning because what you were talking about in terms of a funding for historically black colleges and universities really speaks to me. And uh, I am uh, I am Howard University, and I'm still going to be a little nitpicky here because you got folks from Spelman, you got folks from Morehouse, you got folks from Morgan State. I'm uh, still looking for the uh, Howard University. No, 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 no. I was walking through the uh, airport about three weeks ago. Yeah. I had my Howard University character on my hoodie. And okay. Five times, and people were like, "Yeah." There we go. When they see, when they see the HBCU hoodie with the superheroes on, the first thing they say is, "Is that does that say HBCU superheroes?" And I'm like, "Yes, it does." What's that? And when I tell them about it, I get a fist bump, I get a high five, I get the brother be waiting on something like this. So I I understand like the power of the black dollar. I understand what that kind of hunger is to see something this unique in concept. When I sat down, I designed this, I was simply going about putting the product out 
They say, you know what, man, I like to go out there and go to Comic-Cons. I like to have some fun, too. And then I remember at my very first Comic-Con, DMC from Run DMC was there. He came over to my table, and he was like, man, you have a very unique concept. This is hot. I'm like, you think so? And I'm, I'm this DMC. And I'm, this is the guy you grew up looking at. This is Run DMC. And he's like, yo, man, you have a very, very hot concept. So when I, when I hear people come back, when I meet people, and they say, hey, you know what? This can work. And I think two more incidents that really let me know this could work. I was at the Baltimore Comic Con, and this young Arab guy came up to me. He said he loved independent comic books, and he loved my art. And I said, man, that's fabulous. He said, I'd like to buy something. I said, sure, what do you want? He said, I want everything. And he purchased every framed image that I had at the Comic-Con. He gave me a handshake, and he said, hey, man, I love your concept. And he said, I don't even know anything about HBCU superheroes, except I know that you're doing something indigenous to your community, and if you're willing to stand up on the chair, which I was, and talk to people walking by to generate that type of interest, I like people believing themselves. And then my, my second outing, I went to Morgan for a uh, career day. So Morgan featured me at the career day. We got there at 8 something in the morning. It started at 9. I didn't sit down until 6 o'clock that evening because the line generated at Morgan, when they saw HBCU superheroes, it was nonstop. And the people around me, lawyers, doctors, CEOs were there for, for uh, career day. They came up, they brought the product, they took pictures. They was like, yo, this is sick. This is phenomenal. This is fabulous. So I know that we have something here that can start a movement that can grow the magnitude, or reach the magnitude, and also surpass anything that Marvel or DC has produced. Because I'm telling the community, not only do I want to put this out there, I want us to use our dollars and finance what we're doing and give back to ourselves. So I'm fine with sharing the profit margin from what I'm from what I'm doing if it means that. Another kid attending the HBCU has an extra scholarship, has there's an extra endowed chair to go there and teach. So that's kind of my mindset that I'm in right now. And we're going to get it done. I guarantee you we're going to get it done. There's no doubt in my mind we're going to get it done. And that musical cue means it's time for us to take a short break. Of course, Fantastic Forum comes to you via WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. We're a community radio station. That means, among other things, that we are beholden to our sponsors and our underwriters, as well as our listeners for the continued operation of the radio station. Visit the website at WERA.FM or our parent organization, Arlington Media, at ArlingtonMedia.org to find out how you can support this vital community resource. And stick around, because... I will be right back with more of this special interview with Maurice Rahim Mander, the creator of Surian Seed, coming up right after this.
And we're back on Fantastic Forum here on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming via WERA.FM. We are your community radio station. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell, and we've been talking to Maurice Rahim Mander, who is the creator of Surian Seed. I know I talk a lot, man. I'm just trying to... <laughs> no, that's fine, man. I was, I was really just, I mean, I, I, I'm, I was dead serious about a character from Howard, <laughs> so I'm glad no, you got no, that. No, no, character from Howard is called Who, and Who is a skeptic, and if you can imagine the character who can mimic every fighting style of every in, or every insect, animal, and mammal in the water, that's who Who, who is. So. He kind of takes those fighting styles and incorporates them into a hybrid form of martial arts. And with his detective skills and the fact that he can kind of semi-metamorph into these animals. And also some animals like a hawk and a bear, he could fully transform into. He's, he kind of makes a unique character. I'm telling you, when people saw that in, in the airport, they were just blown away like, yo man, and when I told him it was a Howard character, I always get the HU and the Mecca and all this other stuff. I'm like, okay, all right. It's not more house mess with Tom Howard. <laughs> well, and, and that's the other thing I wanted to ask you about because, you know, the merchandising is, is already taken off. I mean, you've got the HBCU superhero line that, you know, that is getting traction and that, you know, people react to. Um, talk a little bit about that. Well, here, here's what we decided to do. We were going to launch the e-commerce store in February, at the end of February. I received so many emails, so many DMs, so many phone calls of people saying, yo, why can't we buy it now? That we had to go back to the production team. We can't wait till the end of February. And I just started reading them texts, read emails of people saying, I want to purchase this right now. So SorianC.com hbcusuperheroes.com is going to launch next week and you'll be able to go there purchase your hoodies t-shirts tank tops the youth t-shirts crew necks it's gonna it's gonna be a full uh, a fully operational uh, e-commerce store you could buy if you were going to go buy any merchandise in the macy's or in the marvel where we're operating just like that. And what we're doing is called drop shipping. So we've already, when I went to, it's so funny, when I went to go produce the first sweatshirts and t-shirts to bring back as production samples to the production team, when I was at the uh, the printer, she sat me down and said, hey, well, I've had people, cause she had it hanging up in her shop. She said, I had people walk into my shop and ask me about this. Can I broker a deal with you? I was like, what are you talking about? She said, we like to do all your printing. We'll, we'll sign on and do a deal with you at no cost to you. Just bring us on board. So we developed some more ideas and sketches. We forwarded it to them. They, they, uh, they did what they had to do. I took back the production samples to the team. Everybody loved it. And we worked out a deal on Tuesday of this week for them to come on board. They saw the vision and she said to me, you all are gonna make millions of dollars off this. And she said, I don't even know what an HBCU superhero is. She said, I can only tell you, people walk into my shop 
customers I've had for years, they saw your hoodie hanging up and they inquired with an enthusiasm. And I know if those people want to buy it, this is something I'm going to be attached to. So we signed a deal with them and here we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one one of the great things about what you're doing uh, in, in my mind is the opportunity to educate people. Because, you know, one of the things that has troubled me uh, as I have uh, talked to some people, uh, you know, connected board members at uh, historically black colleges and universities uh, who have dipped into their own pockets giving. And, uh, you know, aside from the strength of the athletic programs, you know, which you mentioned for some schools, uh, there is a big difference in terms of the way that uh, alumni from those schools support their institutions versus the way that alumni from historically black colleges and universities tend to support their schools. And they always give more than we do. And, you know, part of that I've got to believe is that we just, we don't always understand the importance of giving back. I mean, you know, sure, we'll give time, you know, there's all sorts of stuff, but giving money back to the institution that educated you, that is every bit as important or more important than any other kind of support that you give your school. And so, you know, you, by what you're doing, by wanting to generate money for these institutions, it's an opportunity for everybody who has attended uh, an HBCU to, to give money. You know, it's like, wow, hey, uh, Raheem Mander's doing this. Damn, you know, I, I can do this. You know, so I, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. But let me, let me, you know, what's important. We've also got to discuss, and the reason why we talk about this platform and giving back. Many of us, even on the HBCU campuses, we are still a microcosm representation of the black community. We incur so much debt when we go to school. I was a first generation uh, college student. I was on welfare when I was in college. So had it not been for scholarships, I would not have been able to attend Morehouse. I just wouldn't have been able to go. My mother couldn't afford it. So I I know for a fact there are students that graduate with hundreds and thousands of dollars worth of debt. When you graduate, we don't necessarily get jobs that allow for us to pay that back more more likely than not before we die. So when you got that as a bill, plus your regular bills in your home, when your school calls up to ask you to make a donation, it's not that people don't want to. It's not that people are even reluctant. People don't have a discretionary income to make that significant contribution to the institution that educated them. And for me, I'm lucky that I didn't have, I don't have that kind of discretionary income to go back and say, hey, man, I'm going to write you a check for $250,000. But I have an idea that can get you millions if you understand the magnitude of what I'm trying to do. So I, I believe that if people understand, hey, I'm going to walk into this store and I'm going to buy this action figure in a Morehouse t-shirt, uh, a Morehouse hoodie, etc., and a percentage of that goes back to my institution. Well, that's something you can do year in and year out. All you have to do is agree to go ahead and allow me to change the outfits on the action figures. Man, Barbie has been around for years. It's the same Barbie. 
The only thing they've been innovative about is it Malibu Barbie? Is it Dr. Barbie? Is it Barbie up inside the kitchen? It, it, it's, it's so many different things they've come off that. that, that uh, it's so many different ways they've generated income off this one concept. So we can do the same thing. And we've also been in discussions about this not just being a movie, but a television series. So if you could imagine this, here's how Serene Seed is set up. Every HBCU in my universe has its own set of superheroes. So there's a set at Howard, there's a set at Grambling, there's a set at Morehouse. Yo, the storyline goes on and on and on and on. So if you can imagine in Marvel, you got superheroes in this city, superheroes in that city. Well, those cities in my comic book represent institutions. And so if you roll up on the quote unquote Avengers, but Avengers are not housed in New York. In New York, they're housed at Howard, and they're not called the Avengers. You roll down to Atlanta University Center, you're going to run into the Order of Lights. You run down to Xavier, Louisiana, you're going to run into another group of superheroes. So this creativity—it's always been there. It just needs to be set in motion. And luckily now, I have a full team around me that's saying, "Hey, let's put this in motion." And with all these large-scale donations being given to HBCUs, with the uh, with Kamala Harris being a graduate of Howard University, with what uh, was being done down in Georgia with Raphael Warren not being the first Black senator, and also my my classmate, Class ninety one at Morehouse, uh, going to Congress, you have all these things set in motion. So all we have to do now is say, hey, let's sit down, let's find the right deal and let's get this done. All I need is just that one person to come along like my angel investor did and said, hey, we like this idea. We believe we can work with this. Because at the end of the day, this product bleeds green. Yeah, it bleeds green. And you don't have to look no further than what Black Panther did in our community. And that became like a social movement. Black folks getting dressed up in African attire. How many people you know are going to show up in HBCU gear on the day this movie reaches the movie theaters? And we have an HBCU party, or we have a red carpet with Devon Nine out there stepping to introduce people to how we get down during homecoming to HBCU culture. Not to mention all the rich intellect that walks up out of the HBCU uh, institutions in this country. I mean, we've changed the world already. So now let us go back. And reinvest in ourselves and change by means by which we go out and generate financial support for our institutions. Let's support HBCU superheroes. Mm. I tell you what, man, you know, you are making this dream a reality, and it's something that's going to lift everybody. And I really admire what it is you're doing. And I can't wait to get my HBCU superhero gear. <laughs> so please tell, tell us how and where. Can we find out more about Syrian Seed and about uh, plans for the future and what's coming? Uh, well, let me say this. First, let me, let me give her a shout out. <clears throat> Ms. Raquel Hill is our director of social media. She's also a native Trentonian that we hired for the project. Because who, who best to understand Trenton than somebody who was reared there? Nobody she better. finalizing the platform for SyrianSeed.com. HBCUSuperheroes.com to launch next week. 
So when you go to that page, the first thing you're going to see is the opportunity to purchase our hoodies, our tank tops, our merchandise. Then you'll be able to go in and read some information about myself. And then it's a living, breathing entity. We'll continuously update and let people know what we have going on with the project. We, we fully expect our proof of concept to be completed um, in March. And then we expect for it to go out and the world to have a glance, a, a glimpse of what we can do in April, early May. So we're going to, it takes, it takes a minute yeah. to do animation. And I didn't, even I didn't understand the animation process. I had to be, I had to be sat down and be educated. Like, oh, this is not like a comic book where you draw it, color it, and you set it up for print. So we're going into the studio. We have some phenomenal actors. Can I talk about that process for a minute? Oh, How, yeah, sure. Okay, so uh, we did, we went to backstage and we, we put the advertisement out there for actors to show up. And we came to Atlanta and people came out and they auditioned. There, there's a talent, and I'm, I'm speaking that in, in the plural form, there's a talent that's running rapid all throughout this country that has not been given an opportunity. We had people show up for this project and it was like wow this is crazy i'm sitting here i'm running an audition for my movie slash television series and all these people showing up and i'm like this is what a casting call looks like this is how it's actually and this is my first i've 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 never done a casting call before so of course i had to hire somebody to show me how to do a casting call and a creative consultant for the project already run, who works in Hollywood, he set everything in motion. Then we had some phenomenal actors show up. I'm talking about walk in, nail it the very first time, try it out for multiple roles, and we kind of got our first wave of actors to come together to help us put together the proof of concept. And I'm talking about, I'm confident that what they've done already for this proof of concept, it's going to it's going to impact it's going to impact people in such a way where they, people say, "Man, like that what you did it's it's different and it and it should be different. It, it it should be it should be understood that if you dream about something, and I said you have goals, not a dream. If you have goals and objectives and they're clearly defined, and you have people supporting you." There isn't anything that you can't accomplish. The only thing that keeps you from being as productive as you want to be is you minimizing your old drive and creativity to get it done. So now I, I received a, a, a call late last week. Not only are they writing a story about myself and Surrey and Seed, they asked me to forward the information for the actors involved because they want an a in-depth understanding why did you join this project in particular and what does it mean for you so now we're getting a feature story written about the Saurian seed universe not just the characters the comic book the production team but everybody that's involved right now so i i can't wait for this story to drop and i'm not interfering i told the actors hey man say what you want to say if you're happy or disney you're not happy you know, feel free to say what you want to say about this process and he's like nah Raheem, you you know how we feel about this so I, I don't expect anything but something phenomenal we printed 
Mm-hmm. Wow. You're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming online via WERA.FM. Radio Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Maurice Rahim Mander, who is the creator of Surian Seed. It, it's just, I, I, I'm really gratified uh, to see this thing blowing up the way that it is. And the fact that you were interested in giving something back mm-hmm. uh, once you get there speaks very highly of you. Nah, bro, I'm, I'm telling you something. I, I'm only doing the values that I have or the values that my mother bestowed upon me and the community bestowed upon me. People think that if you grew up in the projects, it's this this rugged war zone. And make no mistake about it, like you, you couldn't walk in my projects without a pass. Literally, like if you got caught in my projects, you didn't live around there, you you were taking some chances. If you lived there, however, the support network that I encountered when I was in Trenton was phenomenal. I just wrote this piece on Facebook the other day, and, and today um, I had I didn't get a black male teacher. I reached seventh grade, and my my first teacher, one of my first teachers, was Arzega Diller, and he used to sit us down. And he was the gym teacher, and he would sit us down in gym, and he would make us have a full blown discussion, like what does it mean to be black in America? And we're like, damn, dude, why can't we play basketball? (laughs) Why are we not in the pool swimming? And so he kind of took it as an opportunity. Before you go out there on the basketball court, you had to answer some questions about the philosophical reality of being a young black male or a young black female in America. And that dialogue, I didn't know then. What would still resonate with me so much later in life. And I think about the men like him who took the time out to say, hey, this seed that I'm planting, it might not grow for years but you're going to always remember me. So I took that aspect of my education in Trenton and I compartmentalized it to ensure that my values were strong as a black male. Then I also wrote this piece that they, there was a gentleman in our city named uh, Kenneth Lewis. He owned a black bookstore. I mean, we were just, you know, nearly really going to the black bookstore and he made it so it was comfortable to hang out. Well, only for Starbucks started this concept of coming to have coffee and sit down. Kenny Kenny's store was like that. You could bring drinks in. He, he didn't complain if you read the books. He said, man, just put it back where you got it from. And he had this one particular section, man, with these black comic books and black action figures that were not inside of a Kmart at that time. They, they weren't inside of the, the chain stores. And it was owned by black companies. He was like, listen, man, you know, if we don't buy from each other, then we don't stand a chance. So what you'll see in my store are some things that you're not going to find in the chain stores. And I remember having this conversation because I always love comic books. I brought this action figure called Sun Man. And I saw... Olmec Toys. Yeah, Olmec Toys. <laughs> I brought my first Sun Man from Kenny. And he told me, he said, hey man, like, don't open this. This is going to become a collector's edition in the future because black superheroes are so rare in production that to have this, man, you don't know what you, you got to understand what you have. So I wrote today, I have Sun Man, 
mint in that same packaging that I brought back in like 1990, hanging on my wall in my office. And I, I just wrote on Facebook today to tell Kenny, like, yo, bro, your entrepreneurial spirit and the energy that you gave us when we walked into your bookstore unapologetically a positive black male role model, not telling us to go play sports, not telling us to go rap and sing, but advocating that we come into your venue and read to better ourselves. That that jewel that he gave us right there, everybody who came into his bookstore, when I looked through them, well, the people who went in with me, when I looked through my Facebook platform today, they had comments. Yeah, bro, Kenny did X, Y, and Z. And unfortunately, his black bookstore didn't survive. But he did what he was supposed to do in that time frame that he had the platform to do it. He gave young black children an opportunity to investigate something outside of the athletic norm and the entertainment industry that bombards us so much as our only way to develop into uh, progressive adults. So I, I, I salute him and Arzega Diller for that. Mm-hmm. Well, and you're humble too. <laughs> so I but, I, but I, but I really appreciate uh, what it is you're doing. And, uh, and I appreciate the, the, the time. Now, but you know, we can't leave this. if I don't tell you a story because it, it, it won't, I won't be right. So I, I'll tell everybody. Bring it. Bring it. <laughs> in 2011 at my first Comic-Con, I'm, I'm standing on top of the tables because people weren't buying, people weren't buying my stuff at first. And I'm acting like a total fool telling people I got the best product here. Y'all don't know what y'all missing. Y'all couldn't come hop on this. This is the hotness. You know, they, they tell me to get down. And I still remember you walking over like, bro, you really believe in that stuff you're saying? I'm like, yeah, I do. I believe in my product. And you say, I believe in your product. I said, I believe in my product. You asked me, do I believe my product enough to drive down to D.C. and be on the set of Fantastic Forum Television? I said, I'm time, and I would drive down to D.C. and be on, the forum for, uh, be on Fantastic Forum Television. That was my first television interview. And I remember hopping in my car by myself, driving down to D.C., spending the day in D.C., and everything that you promised you would deliver me in terms of professionalism, the love. I love the studio set. I loved everything about it. I used that as a form to launch myself into a stratosphere where I believe that anything was obtainable. And you and Stephen Washington down in Delaware, who also has his own television show, man, it was brothers who gave me the first opportunity to go on television to say, hey, man, I'm here. This is what I would like to do. Here's how I'm trying to do this. And like you said, that was back in 2012. I think I met Stephen Washington back in 2014. So years later, the opportunities that you all gave me, it still fortifies and resonates within me the belief that there'll become a time when the world will not only know about Sony and CHPC superheroes, but they'll also know my name. But you'll always have access to me. Stephen Washington will always have access to me because I don't believe that you can become so big and so popular that you can't not circle back because you never leave, that you can't stay in contact 
with the people who helped you climb the wall. And when we get too big for that, then we've lost sight of our mission. And that's why it was so important that when you and I talked about reconvening this conversation eight years later, that you understood, man, I'm just a phone call away. If you have something going on, um, when I reach the popularity and I have that notoriety, that command you doing something in the fundraiser, bro, all you gotta do is call. I'm the same brother today, in the future, and until they bury me, because I will never forgive the people who said, hey, we believe in you when nobody else did. So it means something to me that you reached out to me to say, hey man, let's talk about doing this thing again. And I made myself available. That's that's how I'm gonna do this piece, bro. So if you ever need anything from me, all you can do is give me a phone call. Well, sir, you, you are very gracious and, uh, and I appreciate that. The one thing that uh, I can absolutely attest to with, with you is you ain't never going to forget where you came from or who was around you. And I think that is one of the most admirable elements to your character. So, hey, uh, well, that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank our special guest, Maurice Rahim Mander, the creator of Syrian Sea. And certainly there's a lot of really interesting and exciting things on the horizon for that particular comic series, which is going to be coming out as an animated series very soon. So uh, we wish him the most success and look forward to hearing more about Syrian Seed in the very near future. Of course, Fantastic Forum is also a television show. And uh, you check your local listings to find out when and where you can watch in your area. Or you can visit our website at fantasticforum.tv. We have all the episodes there. We have the episodes actually broken out with the various segments available for individual viewing. You can check out the interviews. You can check out the event coverage, the toy and game profiles, the special features, and much, much more. That's fantasticforum.tv. The show is also available as a podcast thanks to our friends at The Great Geek Refuge. It's available on all platforms where podcasts can be accessed and downloaded. Visit greatgeekrefuge.com for more information on that. Of course, the show also re-airs each and every Thursday from 3 to 4 p.m. right here on WERA. If you miss any portion of it on Saturday, you can always check it out then. And be sure to join us again next week. Same bat time, same bat station. Have a safe rest of the weekend, people.